This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Don't forget, coming up in hour two, the general manager of the uh, Seattle Kraken, Ron Francis, stops by. Uh, in the meantime, I know I've talked plenty lately, pretty much all season, really, about the Buffalo Sabres, but why not? Uh, to me, they're one of the most interesting teams in the NHL uh, with franchise players, certainly up front in Tage Thompson on the back end with Rasmus Dallin and an emerging star in Uka Pekalukkanen, who looks fantastic and has been recalled. Uh, the architect of this squad is their general manager, Kevin Adams. He joins me now. Kevin, thanks for doing this. How are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, first of all, uh, I got to ask about Tage Thompson. I mean, I know last season was wonderful for Tage Thompson, and this year he's taken it to another level. I know players that skated with him in the offseason came away with it saying, this guy's going to tear up the NHL. He's already at a different level. At, at what point? moment or when did you start to realize that we may have the next great player in this game because Tage Thompson clearly is that? Well, you know, what's interesting on Tage, um, go back to my first year as general manager. So it was uh, three years ago, whatever it was now. And um, that season, you know, Tage was in and out of the lineup. Uh, He was on the taxi squad. It was a tough time. And we had just, that offseason signed him to a three-year deal, and part of it was because we just felt like the upside of Tage, there was so much there. He just hadn't quite gotten the opportunity or proven himself. So I remember sitting with Tage for a lot of, a lot of you know, times, coffee and just chatting, and he, he always had this inner drive to show that I know I can do this. And it was just, um, you know, some of it was his grown into his body, some of it was opportunity. And then you fast forward into last year, and where I really give Donnie Granado a ton of credit is, you know, having the vision to shift him into the middle, thought it might free him up a little bit um, with his skating and his length and um, his set. And he really started to see him emerge. Now, we also have the benefit, I watch him every day in practice. I could see certain things that just looked like um, he was starting to take his game to the next level. And clearly last year he took a step, but we felt uh, we really wanted to get him under contract long-term and, you know, felt that he had another more levels to go. And I still believe that. I honestly believe Hmm. he's still getting better, and that's what's so exciting for us. You know, he's – I'll be honest with you. I was one of those people at the beginning of last season when I first heard that um, the Buffalo Sabres were looking at making Tage Thompson a center. My first thought was Hail Mary pass. And like many, I was skeptical. Now he's turned into one of the best, you know, centers in the NHL. We've seen him. I think one of the most interesting things about Tage Thompson is not how many goals he's scored, but how he has scored them. And, you know, the, the point that I think a lot of people are realizing is that when you have someone with that size, with that creativity, who's also a scoring threat, I mean, it, it's a lethal combination. But I, I am curious, in your mind, I mean, I considered it or looked at it like a Hail Mary pass for Tage Thompson, making him a center. Did you feel the same? No, not really. And part of it was because this is something Donnie and I had talked daily about um even you know pre the previous year kind of just discussing that and and i think there's a couple things now donnie has a history with tage back to the national development program uh tage played center when he was younger um so you know it may have been looked like it was totally out of nowhere 
from, you know, in terms of his National Hockey League kind of history, but it wasn't completely foreign to him. And mm-hmm. the other thing I loved was I think Cage is the type of person who loves a challenge, loves, okay, I, I think this could be a great opportunity. And um, so he took it, you know, head on and, you know, kept getting better and better. And I think part of the other thing is not to be um, underestimated is when we made the trade and was able to get Alex Tuck, um, Alex and Jeff Skinner on the wings, kind of just the chemistry those three were able to start to have pretty early on um, made a big difference as well. So, um, yeah, I guess it's probably not very often you see something like that happen where a guy isn't a center and then becomes, you know, the center that he is right now. But mm-hmm. um, we did believe it, it, it could happen. Uh, I am curious with uh, with Kevin Adams, your general manager of the Buffalo Sabres. I'm, I'm curious, Kevin, is this team – ahead of schedule is this team on schedule i know you have a plan for where you see this team from season to season um where is this team vis-a-vis where you thought they would be right now yeah you know what it's a really it's a really interesting question and you're gonna probably think i'm dodging it and i'm not and here here's why i'll I'll give you the answer (laughs) this way i've been very careful not to to timeline this because of how young we are I don't think that it's it's um, just out of the ordinary when you have as young of a team as we are to see different growth in steps players take. Like mm-hmm. Dylan Cousins has taken a huge step this year, um, you know, so that's great. But you know, going in the off season, we believed that he would. We liked what we were seeing, but you're not sure. Um, Jack Quinn, JJ Paterka. You know, they've had ups and downs like all rookies do, but really been dynamic at times. And then certainly in the back end with, with Owen and Rasmus and Matias Samuelson, really, really taking steps to become at times, you know, high-end kind of top guys that are playing 28, 30 minutes a night. Um, and then the goaltending. So it's so the reason I... I can't really say, hey, it's exactly what I thought or it's ahead or it's behind is because you just have to open, you just have to be open to progress. And what I know, what I knew going into the year, Jeff, was that we had an extremely talented group of players. We have a bunch of players with high character and high work ethic that really truly want to be here and want to be Buffalo Sabres. Um, But we're still just, we have a long way to go. We're still getting better, and we're not where we need to be yet, but I like what I see so far. No, you're, uh, we've seen this with a lot of teams, and I think the one thing that people need to to, to get in their mind, I certainly do, that development isn't a straight line. It's a bunny hop, right? It's two jumps forward, one backwards, two backwards, one forwards. Like, it's not, it's it's, it's not a straight line. Um, Although, having said that, um, are there players on this team that you think are done with the bunny hop? And the one person that I kind of circle here is Rasmus Dahlin. And the first few years of, of his career, it was that bunny hop. A couple of lurches forward and then backwards and two backwards. And like you know what it's like with these guys. But the, the Rasmus Dahlin that we see now, I can't help saying to myself, okay, now we're starting to see what Rasmus Dahlin is going to be like for the rest of his career. Do you think he's done with the development bunny hop? Well, what I which is probably shocking to most people listening is that he's still only 22 years old. So I do think that he's still has the ability to get better and improve and grow. Um, I think one of the big things that we've seen with Rasmus over the last, let's say 12, 18 months is he's 
he's a man now. He's he's a big, strong, physical player too. Not just everybody always saw the the talent and the 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 stick handling and the shooting and the passing, but now he's physically strong and he's such a competitive kid. Um, just has such a burning desire to be great um, that you know it's starting to come together for him. But I still think he has the opportunity to get better, and um, that's exciting as well. But I do think you're just seeing a more mature Rasmus Dahlin. And, you know, part of it is, too, the psychology. I believe that he's at a point now in his career where he knows, similar to Tage, he knows going into games that he has the ability to be a difference maker every night. And regardless of talent, when you're young in this league, you may think you can be, but maybe you're not totally there yet, where now those guys know that they can be. And I think that's a little bit of the difference. Uh, Kevin, I'm curious about, you know, we all have our eyes now to, to trade deadline, and there are some teams that, maybe for lack of a better way of describing it, um, there are some teams that almost say to the general manager with their play, we deserve a trade or we deserve some help, whether you you know think that they're you know where you want them to be or not. Sometimes GMs will look at their team and say, you know what, these guys have earned a trade or these guys have earned some help. I know it's January right now and we're talking about March, but do you think your team has earned something from you? Well, I think, I think it's a, the, the bigger point of that is how do we improve our team every day is something we talk about and think about and we're open to. So absolutely. I, I like what I've seen. And, but one of the things that we have to be careful of here is, you know, getting away from our plan or doing something in a short term, um, you know, that may hurt us in the longer term. We we believe that we're starting to build a core of really special players. We want to we want to continue to grow that core, believe in that core, reward that core, and we're going to do that. Now, if we make a move that we think is going to help our team, we're certainly open to willing to do it. But we we want to be more mindful of players that can grow with us, you know, and not necessarily just come in. And another example I'll give you is. You know, there, you can look at your team in the off season and you can say, hey, there's this player that they may be a little bit ahead of this younger player we have, but we don't want to we don't want to block their progress. We don't want to block their development. And and again, I'll go back to a player like Dylan Cousins. If he's not on the ice taking key faceoffs, if he's not getting first power play reps, he's not going to accelerate his development. And that's something we're very mindful of. And as we put together this roster, but we're also going to be thinking about that moving forward. Um, through all of this, you know, we've talked about, you know, one door closing or, you know, one person's injury is someone else's opportunity. Um, when Eric Comrie went out and Uka Pekalukunen got a long run and a long look, and we all saw the, the nature of the workload that he was shouldering. Like he played, well, I don't need to tell you this just for our listeners. Like he played against a lot of really good teams. Like Lukanen played against some high level teams in the NHL and looked real good, and Sabres fans fell in love with them as as well they should. Uh, I know that no one likes the three-headed monster, the, the three-headed goalie situation. How do you see your goaltending situation playing out now that it seems as if Lukanen's taken another big step in his career? Yeah, we're excited about UPL, and, you know, if you go back to the offseason, we signed him to a two-year contract. One of the things I talked to, you know, our team about and in the media here in Buffalo about is, He's in a critical development phase in his career where the age he's at. Um, the biggest thing for me was to make sure he's getting the reps. You know, he's getting the minutes, the starts. 
and I was less concerned with exactly what league. It was more about just the minutes. <laughs> now, it was tremendous that the opportunity you know, presented itself, and he's certainly taken advantage of it and run with it. And now we're seeing him at a spot in his career where what we were hoping he would start to develop into, he's been doing consistently in the NHL for a number of games now. And mm-hmm. you, you nailed it. I mean, these are some tough teams, tough buildings. Um, and so we're going to be, yeah, we're going to continue to look to ways that we can make it work for him. I mean, candidly, he was, he was slated to be called back up today and start tonight and he got sick, uh, woke up this morning sick, you Ugh. know, so that you adjust. But, you know, those are the things that you just work your way through. Um, but we're extremely excited about him. We believe in all three of our guys. I mean, Craig Anderson, for those that have, you know, followed his career, he's had a tremendous career, but what he's done for our team in terms of his leadership and just his consistency um, has been really, really big, big for us over the last two seasons now. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're excited. Eric Comrie had a tough, you know, injury, a setback there, but we believe in him. And so now we feel like uh, we'll, we'll chalk this up under good problems, right? Like having three yeah. guys that we believe in and that can help us in hockey games is a good thing. You know, I, I understand the idea that, you know, dancers dance and fiddlers fiddle and, you know, a general manager does their job and a coach does their job. But when it comes to something like net mining and this chase that the Sabres are on right now, where a playoff spot is within view, would you ever go to go to your coach, go to Don Granado and say, you know, with regards to the, the, the goaltending situation, what do you want? Like, Don, you know the team. What what do you want? Uh, and, and, and if so, like, how much does that influence your decision, if at all? Or do you just say, look, I'm the manager. I'm in charge of this. Yeah, no, Donnie and I have a very uh, strong relationship. And to be honest with you, we I, do, I ask him that question every day. And mm. he asks me that every day. So that's what I'm really... I'm really thankful for the the communication that Donnie and I have and the, the relationship we have because there's no there's no egos there's no agendas when we walk in every morning with him and I and the coaching staff and the management staff it's just about what do we need to do today and moving forward to help this organization you know be great and um, I do ask him that hey what do you want what do you see what makes sense and for me I'm a big believer in it's not about um, being right, like me being right or this guy being right, it's about getting it right. And when you get enough good people together in a room and you you challenge each other and you know have good communication, you're going to get to the right answer. And that, to me, is the most important thing. Um, was there a moment, and listen, I'll just get my bias out there right away. Uh, for me, it was the presence of Alex Tuck. But was there one moment where you saw the Sabres really change because it's, it seemed to me that when you made the deal and Tuck arrived, that things really started to change for the Buffalo Sabres. Was there one moment, a couple of moments that under your watch, you've looked at this team and said, okay, now it's starting to turn. Well, yeah, I'd say there were, there were signs of it with the, the character and the people that, we have in our room um, that I even saw before that, right? Like, okay, here's some people that I'm seeing certain qualities from some of our young players. Um, my my personal way of doing business is to get to know players, get to know our coaches and spend time with them and truly have honest conversations. You know, I've, I bounce a lot off Kyle Iposo, ask him questions. So, I saw signs, um, and then it was up to us to try to figure out how do we build around this and give these young players the ability to grow and learn and 
Um, certainly the, the trade, I do believe, um, you know, set us on a course where the players understood that now we have people here that truly want to be here and want to be part of something special um, because that's what it's, what it's about in our locker room. You know, we, they, they are a good group of people. They challenge each other, but they're all in. They want to be Buffalo Sabres. They care about the jersey, and I think that as, as we've built this team, they feel that. So, you know, in terms of some of the moments during the season last year, you know, there were some, you know, big games where high-visibility games whether it was, you know, the, the Vegas win at home or the outdoor yeah. game against the Leafs that was yeah. back and forth or, you know, the RJ. Um, yeah, great night. night great where night. Just exciting, you know. And I, and I did say this last year. I felt like our players and, by the way, all our staff, it was a history lesson the entire year living with, you know, the RJ kind of just going back and learning about the franchise. I think that was very um, – underrated in terms of what it built within our locker room. So those are some of the moments last year, but um, now it's a challenge to say, Hey, how do we consistently, you know, take the step forward to become that next level team. That's challenging um, to be, you know, a great team every night. It's a fun team to watch Uh, heavy on time. Thanks for this. Good luck the rest of the way. Good luck against Seattle tonight. Thanks for doing this, Kevin. Yeah, no problem, Jeff. Anytime. Take care. Kevin Adams is the general manager of the Buffalo Sabres back in action tonight against the Kraken. Their general manager, Ron Francis, joins me in hour two. That's next. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, we can't miss you if you won't leave. Well, no, you're right. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Matt Marchese is aboard. Ron France is the bottom of the hour. Seattle Kraken general manager. Big win last night against the Montreal Canadiens, where both Strong and Tolvin and Maddie find the back of the nets. Oh, man, he's been good. Point, point in every game, I think. Both those guys have been real good. I know I've talked a lot about Sprung this season, but I mean, every you have? time. Yeah, just a little bit. Guy's only playing like 10 minutes, and he's got like, what was it, 14 goals now for Sprung? 13 goals? Yeah, like the points per minute for him is really good. That, see, that, where is Steve Fellin? Attention, Steve Fellin. I could text him right point, now. What do you need? Points per minute played. <sighs> okay, I'll text I bet you he'd be, he'd be really good. For listeners slash viewers that don't know who Steve Fellin he's is. He's the best. He's a secret weapon around here. He so sure Steve is. Fellin is a guy that runs and curates and he'll always defer to people that he works with, but I mean, he's the, the big dog for Sportsnet stats. He's also one of the funniest people that I've ever met. Some of the best dry humor oh. you'll hear anywhere is Steve Oh, Fellin. Steve Fellin is a, he right, he is a treasure. Here. I go back with Fallon back to 94, 95. Really? When I first started, he used to listen to a radio show that me and Strombolopoulos and Makowitz used to do here at The Fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't 1430 then. It already t- changed to 590. It was an overnight show, Friday Wait, night you show. you were here when the change happened? I was working part-time at The Fan and part-time at the beer store when the change happened. And I'll tell you what, I can recall, man, I'm dating myself. This is memory lane with Jeff Merrick here. I can remember. This was a Jane and Dundas. Okay. Beer store Jane and Dundas in Toronto. Working part-time there and part-time here at the fan. And I remember being on my, going on my way to work and driving and sitting in the parking lot listening for the switch. 
listening to the changeover. <laughs> uh, honestly, Maddie, like it may sound ridiculous now. Here we are in 2023, but that was a huge deal in Toronto sports radio at that time. Yeah, I remember. From 1430 to 590 was enormous. Because 1430 then ended up becoming like a country station. I'm pretty sure. I think it was previous too. Yeah, I do remember that. Well, because my I, how do you remember that? You were like dash two probably. No, um, I don't. What year did you say that happened? That would have been. I think the switchover happened in ninety three or ninety four. Okay, I was five. If it happened in ninety, and you remember it, do you? Well, I remember. I remember it. Your dad would. Your dad's a sports broadcaster. Well, He'll remember it. My dad. So this is this is this is the funniest part about the genesis of Matt Marchese. Because growing up, I hated sports talk radio. Hated it with a passion. It was locked onto my dad's dial, and it did not move like nothing. Really, I, I used to hate listening to Bob McCowan. You did, and then I you did. ended up producing, and then him. I ended up producing for him because I, I guess because I, as I got older, hang on, I figured hang on, hang it on. out. Maddie, is it because your father ignored you in the car, and he would just listen no. to the fan? <laughs> no, we, no, we had spirited <laughs> That's debates. What it is. As, well, I mean, he, maybe he chose sports radio over you. Well, he always should, wanted. He always do you want, need a fainting couch and not a chair, perhaps? Matt? You know what? There's one. Out, there's a couple out in the hall, actually. Um, my dad always wanted to be a radio broadcaster. Yeah, and he is now mm-hmm. after years and years and years and years. And then I, I guess that's where I got it from. And then just the, as I got older, I had an appreciation for talk radio. Hmm. But originally, you hated it. Hated it with a passion. I always wanted to listen to music. Anyway, congratulations, you've arrived. Uh, so what we do to kick off hour two? We've done it um, once. <laughs> yes, once it was good. It was good, and they're gonna get they're gonna get better. There's some good ones. There's, well, yesterday we did better. Braden Holtby, and yep. I told one of my favorite Braden Holtby stories that involves Corey Conacher after he scored his first career NHL goal in a Washington Tampa game. He scored it against Braden Holtby, so he named his dog Holtby. Brilliant. Today's is a really good one. First of all, who does it come from? Uh, Nick wrote, Trantos. Yes. Nick Trantos submits a great one. So this is the sweet spot of the bat for me. Yes, Go it for. is. Go for uh, it. Bad news, Bilodeau. Gilles Bilodeau, who played yes. uh, in the NHL and the WHA for the Quebec Nordiques. He also played for the Toronto Toros yes. of the WHA. Yes. And he played for the Birmingham Bulls. And he finished his pro career in Birmingham playing minor hockey. He did. And settled there and passed away at the age of 58 in Birmingham, I believe. twenty Was it twenty? 20- 16 or 2018? Something like that. Anyway, so Gilles Bilodeau, bad news. And I texted John Garrett last night. That's what I figured like, you his, were going to His, his text. nickname was, <laughs> no, Cheech sends back, like, his nickname was bad news because when he dropped the gloves, it was bad news. He also had a couple of different nicknames growing up as well. He was always a real tough player um, from Quebec. Uh, Tarzan <laughs> was one of his nicknames. And this is a great one, too. And I didn't know this and, until I just did a, made a couple of phone calls and, and did a little reading. Zombie. Zombie Bilodeau. Why? I don't know. I guess he was because like a zombie he beat, when he scrapped. Or he beat know. people into looking like they were zombies? Perhaps. So there's one season. I'm going to try to drag this into territory that you'll appreciate because I've met few people, if any, that are bigger fans of the movie Slapshot than you. So I'm just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and assume that you know everything about it. Pretty much. Bos Jaros. Mm-hmm. It was a team that he played on in the NAHL. Mm-hmm. Okay. He recorded. You have his stats in front. I have it right here. Okay, what are what are his numbers in that <laughs> season with Bos Jaros? Okay, fifty eight games played, five uh, eight goals, seventeen assists for twenty five points, and a whopping four hundred and fifty one penalty minutes. Yes, 
legendary performance. No kidding. Legendary performance from Jill Bad News Billado. Now, a couple of things. We'll draw this into your into your space here with the movie Slapshot. Two things. That team, their color scheme and their logo. Oh, you're going to say it's the John... The- no, it's not. But oh. which... Which Slapshot team did that borrow heavily from? Oh, I see what you did. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Why did I forget the team? It's it's Syracuse. Yeah, the team at the end. Yeah, Syracuse. The lettering, all of it. All of it is Syracuse. That is good. And I'll take you one more. From that movie, Gilles Bilodeau was the inspiration for which character? Oh, man. It's not Oglethorpe because that was it somebody else. No, no. That no. was Goldthorpe. Was Bill it? Goldthorpe. That was yeah. Bill Goldthorpe. As played by Ned Dowd, who's the brother it- of Nancy Dowd, who wrote the movie. Ned Dowd was a producer for The Last of the Mohicans. Aha. Hollywood guy. Okay. Was it Poodle? Yes. Good for you, Lucier. Andre Poodle Lucier. Poodle Lucier. And the great line. Not, not, not Poodle. Poodle. I love how. <laughs> Say it like Ken Reed now. <laughs> Not poodle. That's good. I'm um, looking at their jerseys right now, and it, you're hundred percent. It's that's great. It's Syracuse, hundred percent. That's both. Look Charles. that up. B E A U C E space Jaros J A R O S for our listeners and viewers at home. It's Syracuse. It is hundred percent Syracuse. So there was a couple of. Um, <laughs> okay, so there's one thing, and I've always wondered about this one. So there was a brawl in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, so Billado was part of it. So was a guy by the name of Wally Weir, who was a real tough player as well. Mm-hmm. And this is at the War Mem, and Billado is either suspended or injured. He's suspended. Weir is suspended as well. And the referee makes a horrible call against Bose, and Wally Weir runs down and starts banging on the glass at the official. Some police get involved and start roughing up Weir. And so a couple of players, including Billado, come in to break this thing up. And it all takes place right around the penalty box. And the one thing that I've always wondered, I'm going real deep on this one. This is like deeply obscure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I was doing American Hockey League games with John Bartlett, so the first two years the Marlies moved from uh, St. John's to Toronto, John Bartlett was the radio play-by-play voice and I did color. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't go on a ton of road trips, but there was one I really wanted to go on it too. So I was glad because I wanted to go to this rink, um, uh, the On Center at War Mem in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And there is a, there was, this would have been 205, 206. There was a family, father, mother, daughter, who sat there at the War Mem in Hanson Brothers jerseys. The Chiefs, Okay. <laughs> And whenever Syracuse would score a goal, dad would stand up. It was a big deal. Like, and everyone got right into it. He would stand up. He would do a lap at the concourse and then body check the penalty box. And I always wondered if that was inspired by that brawl. I don't know that I have any way of ever finding that out. That seems like, a, that seems like an insurance thing gone wrong. Like that's <laughs> just an insurance accident waiting to happen. It is, but I've always wondered if that happened. The other thing about Billado. And this happened, and this will tie in with Slapshot as well, with Jeff Carlson. Okay. Okay? So, Billado gets in a fight. This is in the WHA. Billado gets in a fight with Jeff Carlson, and it's right by the penalty box, which is where the announcer for the penalties is. Okay. 
Jeff Carlson grabbed the microphone that announces penalties and beat Bilodeau with it <laughs> during the fight. I love the 70s. Honestly, the most ridiculous things happen. He beat him with... That is the definition of a mic drop, Jeff. I know, literally. Jeff Carlson... Dropped it on his head. Beat him with the microphone. The other big event that he was part of, Jules Bilodeau, the late Jules Bilodeau. You know, for a short career that he had, he was involved in a lot of things. Well, there was one thing, and if we ever get Rick Dudley on the show, I want to ask him about it because it was a game between Birmingham and the Cincinnati Stingers. Rick Dudley would have been playing on the Stingers, and Jacques Demers would have been the coach. Okay. It's called the Thanksgiving Day Massacre. 1977, Glenn Sonmore is running Birmingham and just dresses meat to start. Oh, man. And Cincinnati's got, like, they've got, you know, listen, like, they've got Rick Dudley, who was as tough as they came, but they didn't have meat. And he jumped Jamie Hislop, who, if you know anything about Jamie Hislop, you know, he had, I think he had, like, 20 20 minutes in penalties maybe his entire career. And Bilodeau grabs him and Ron Plum's getting, and it's like, it's a beating that they always talked about in the WHA was referred to as the Thanksgiving Day Massacre. Dudley went crazy. Demers went crazy. And do you know the player they brought in to take on Billadeau and Steve Durbano and Frankie Beaton? All like those this, guys are on the same team? They're all in the Bulls, bud. Sonmore brought them all in. Smokes. Do you know who they went out and got to take on those guys and help make this player's career because after that this guy's career took off and actually ended up playing in the nhl and then stayed in the nhl afterwards in a different capacity one of the toughest minor hockey players in the game at that time but wasn't playing in the wha in the 70s yeah man 77 specifically as we say in the atlantic i don't know paul stewart Oh. Later went on to be an NHL official. Later went on to play with the Quebec Nordiques, who later went on to fight four Boston Bruins in a single game. Wow. Paul Where was Stewart. he playing and at the time? I think he was playing with the Broom Dusters. I think. You can check that. This is all this is very fascinating radio and television as Maddie surfs through Hockey DB. Hockey DB is the greatest thing ever. It's really, really good. But they brought him in and he ended up and he ended up fighting. The Broom Bordeaux. County Dusters. There you go. Broom County Dusters. Yeah, and he was I yeah, think Ken, was, was Ken, hang on, we're going to go real deep. Was Ken Holland the goalie for the of that broom, team? For the Broom Dusters? What Check a great, it. What a great name. Check it. Ken Holland was the goaltender to a tune of a 3.78 goals against average, which was the best on that team, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is, uh, yeah, yeah, it was the best. The next closest guy was Bob Snedden, who had a 4.53. Wow. Kenny Holland was 29 and 14 that year. Oh, Eight, it, he also had the best save percentage at 876. Oof. Uh, there's a lot of holes in that game. Yeah. Anyway. What a trip down memory lane. That is, you know, I didn't. That's what this segment's going to just turn into. I didn't think, we're going to need more than five minutes, by the way. It's okay. Like we got half an hour until Ron no, no, shows up. No, no. But going forward, we're going to need more than five minutes. Ah, uh, we'll see. Well, listen, with someone like Jill Billado, yeah. you, get, you need, you need wait, a little bit more Wait till people see some of the other ones that we have. It's good. So thank you very much, uh, Nick Trantos, for yeah, sending that Yeah, that was great. In. You do have a Harry Jill... Cameron request, too. This is, oh, like, this is catnip oh, for Jeff. Oh, yeah, this is total. By the way, um, Billado was the guy. Wayne Gretzky will tell the story. There was one guy. When Wayne Gretzky started in the WHA, and he was playing for the uh, Indianapolis Racers. Billado was the one guy that would go at him consistently. 
Villado was the guy that would chase him yeah, around. None of that Semenko guy. Right? There's a there's no. This is like they, Pre, they were, This is racers. <laughs> this is Indianapolis racers. Yeah, that was he was the guy that used to go after Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky Gretzky will tell that story about how Bilodeau he was 17 years him. old. I think. Correct. Yeah, he's like 11 <laughs> years old, coming in from the OHL, playing against. He can't even grow a mustache. Playing in, in the league, 70s, playing in a league where half the league should be incarcerated. There's Wayne Gretzky. Well, that, and that's just it. Did I ever tell you that they made a video game basically? On Slapshot? No. Yeah, they they did. It was, and it's just recently, like within the last, I don't know, seven years. Yeah. You you can play through like a season, but it's basically character. It's basically Slapshot. The fights that they, you can slash guys over the head. Like I'm not even joking. Like jumping up on the net and swinging at a guy. Well, when he not comes quite around the net. Not quite that. But that was like, a Hyannisport game. Yes. The it's the visual of it. The there's blood. There's like the body checks, the characters that they use in the thing, the team names. Like it Do is they have incredible. angry referees at the anthem? That one I don't Do they have believe. peanut vendors standing <laughs> up to them? That's such a that's such a good movie. Oh my god. Um yeah, so there this took this I didn't think Jill Billadol was gonna bring out this many stories. Because like I said, he didn't have a super long career. But it's the timing of it. You hit that sweet spot where so many ridiculous things happen. There's one um because I used to do this. I have, for the longest time, I was part of a, a, a hockey fight tape trading ring. I know. I, don't be surprised. I know. There was a guy out of Hartford uh, who was a big part of a guy named Sandy Vigilante. No joke. That was his name, Sandy Vigilante. Of course it was. Um, and I was part of uh, various tape trading rings and then DVD trading rings. And so I've got The like, black market of hockey videos. It's true. And there's a, there's a few that are holy grails. And one of them is the Gilles Bilodeau-Kim Claxon fight. Kim Claxton, I think, would have been playing for Winnipeg at that point. Kim Claxton was kind of uh, the Ty Domi of his time. Okay. Like, there were some monsters in that league. Um, and Kim Claxton, like, pound for pound was probably one of the toughest. I think he KO'd Bilodeau in that fight. Wow. But that's kind of one of been those those holy grails. I've never seen it. I've never found it. I've, ne- I've never seen it. I, I'm, I don't even know if it exists. It does exist. Someone, somewhere it's has like, to have it. This is like finding the Mona Lisa. Or something equivalent to it, like this this trading ring. You know who really did a number on Bilodeau in his career right at the very end? And it was the beginning of this guy's career. Who's that? And you can see it. There's there's a couple of them online. Val James. Val, you know what? And we had Val James on the show when his book came out, and he was great. Um, I remember my dad telling me stories about how tough Val James was. And, yep. I, so, and I see his picture all the time at Ray 20 Arena in Newmarket. Because he hey, played for the Newmarket yeah, Saints. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember my dad telling me, he's like, that guy was uh, as tough as they come. And he had he had to be for multiple reasons, but he was just tough. He was. Capital T, tough, right? Yep. His dad was the arena manager, Zamboni driver, do-it-all person at the arena where the Long Island Ducks played. And John Brophy. Oh, the legendary. legendary defenseman for the Long Island Ducks who always, who always said, if I ever have a chance to make your son an NHLer, I will. And when he got the Maple Leaf job, when Val got the call up. Yeah. Val yeah. honored honored his promise to his former Zamboni driver with the Long Island Ducks. I think John Muckler would have been on that team too. Oh. The I the John Brophy, I remember like as we look back on the history of our own lives. I don't remember what video it was like Mark Hebsher's pro hockey bloopers or something that I had. Mm-hmm. And it was a video, a VHS. Is that the one where he whacked his head and had the the blood? No, it was it was the it was the visual of him choking 
himself on the bench. Yeah, that was to Jacques Demers, and then the Detroit came back and won. Yes. <laughs> and and I just remember, like, that and, like, certain songs uh, that they used in that video, yeah. like, old songs and whatever, like, and it always stuck out. And I remember telling my dad that, and I said, like, I the only thing I remember about John Brophy is when he did the choking thing the to choke, himself. Yeah. And my dad says, I remember the VHS that you watched that on. Because I would serious. have no other reference to John Brophy. You know what? It's funny. You mentioned Hebsher too. Um, all those global guys were great. I miss them. Yeah, like they were fan- they were fantastic. I know. You know, uh, Taddy works down the street still. Uh, Hebsher still does a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy that I really miss, who I thought was, and and still to this day, and I've talked to him on the phone a number of times. Mm-hmm. I got I got to get out to like lunch or dinner with this guy that I, it was such an inspiration for young me was Mike Anscombe. Mike Anscombe was a main sports uh, reporter and, and host on Global Sports for a number of years. And also, going back to WHA, he was a host of Toronto Toro Games. Yeah. I mean, Peter Zosky. That name I remember. <laughs> CBC. Mm-hmm. Right? Mike Anscombe is the guy. Mike Anscombe was like, if, if you if you have a problem with me on the air, don't like me, whatever, blame Mike Anscombe. I guess, I guess guy, we have to get him on. There was one guy that I wanted to be when I was a kid. Like, if I wasn't going to be a hockey player, the one guy that I really went out of my way to idolize, Mike Anscombe. See, I never, I never really had like a broadcasting idol. I guess because I hated it for so long, I wasn't Dave Hodge, Mike Anscombe. Yeah. Later was Ron, and now it's a trip that I get to work with him. Yeah. Like I, I always loved listening to Bob Cole mm-hmm. and Harry Neal. Like that was my childhood, but I never really had a broadcaster that I looked at and went, "Wow, that's the guy." Dick Irvin for me. You know why? Because he's. Well, he's brilliant, and he's been around so long. Like he, he can cover off things that nobody can. Mm-hmm. He, like his, if you think about how far his reach is into the game of hockey, even before he was born, he still got stories from his father. You know, of the early 1900s. Like, if you think about that reach, so yes to all of that. But there's one thing that you're missing. What's that? I think that Dick Irvin was one of maybe the best color people of all time, mm-hmm. right? Him and Danny Gallivan, what a dynamic broadcast booth that was. Here's the thing about Dick Irvin. He never played. Yeah, that's There's true. always that default of, okay, the, the color analyst has to be someone who played. And I understand that. And there's an expanded there's vision certainly value you played that, before. Yeah. But what I thought really made that pair was the way they communicated. And how they communicate. Now you can make the point, and rightfully so, and you just did, that he grew up in a hockey family where dad knew everyone and knew everything and knew everybody, and that all translated down to junior. But the one thing that always impressed me, that I always look back on, as I get older, I get more and more impressed by Dick Irvin. And it was a real treat to work with him when I was at CBC. He didn't play. And he may have been the best color man of all time. Well, even when we look at just the sport of hockey in general, how many many people that are in high-ranking positions or whatever, quote-unquote, didn't play. I think it's, it's better that way. I think it's smarter I think, that way. I think you need to have some variance, sure. But, like, John Cooper is one of the best coaches in the NHL. Never, quote-unquote, played. Lawyer. Scott, Remember, what was the thing about Jay Feaster before the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning won their first Stanley Cup? Remember all the, the knocks on Jay? Ah, oh, curbside lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, curbside lawyer just won the, uh, the Calder in the American Hockey League with Hershey. Oh, yeah, that curbside lawyer just won the Stanley Cup with the yeah. Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, Scotty Bowman play, played junior hockey. Didn't play in the NHL, but he played junior hockey. Like mm-hmm. there, it's it's not a long list, and that to me is like you, like you talk about with Dick Irvin. That makes it more even more impressive because there's a lot of things that when you play the game that just come naturally to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't, 
you have to, I feel like you have to work that much harder, especially. Right? In Dick Irvin's case, he grew up in a hockey family like He grew up around it. But I mean, you just you just don't get that by default though either. You also have to understand what's going on too. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why like when I think about John Cooper, I I marvel at John Cooper because he didn't play. What I marvel about it with uh, with John Cooper is even though like we've talked about this before, initially him and Stamkos did not get along. Yeah. It was not a good scene. But I'm always impressed with players and coaches that can work around that. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't like have to like everybody you, you work with. Listen, man, as I mentioned, you know, someone like Rick Dudley a couple of seconds ago. Remember him and Le Cavalier? Yeah. And, you know, there was the, I'm not firing him and I'm not trading him, so you guys better figure this thing out. I'm just so impressed at John Cooper's staying power. Yeah. Because, you know, players. Well, he's the longest out. tenured coach in the he league is, right now. By a long shot. Yeah, it's not even close. By a long shot. That's that's the thing that impresses me most about uh, about him. But the the one thing that's um that Dick Irvin, every time I get a chance to talk to Dick, and whether it was at you know various hockey days or the occasional time around hockey night in Canada, was you know, we'd have these conversations about the past. One of the things that Dick would always come around to, I think for him this is one of I think this was one of his favorite points, because he would always go out of his way to make it. Mm-hmm. Was that he would always remind me. He'd say, Jeff, never forget that there was a time in the NHL where the best players were also the toughest players. Yeah. Whether it was Rocket or Ted Lindsay, Gordy. Like, sure, there were some other players, you know, Bob Bailey was just like, you know, tough but kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. But like good, good players, Bill Juzda, like the good players were also the toughest. Like that was part of what went into to making a hockey player. And then through the late 60s, early in the 70s, people started, hockey players started to specialize. We saw a lot more of that in the in the 80s. And, you know, now we're getting to a point again where now that a lot of the, you know, crushers are gone with the from the league, that it's the players themselves, sometimes they're skilled players, that have that responsibility now. Yeah. But he would always go out of his way. He's like, listen, man, like Rocket and Gordy, like, these were the guys. They were the best players in the game, and they were the toughest players in the game, too. It just shows the evolution of of even, not for anything, that, like, if you look at hockey and you look at the evolution of just people every day, used to, people used to be like that. You know, there, you had to be tough if you grew up in the 30s and the 40s and, the, and even before that, whereas now we are a softer generation, by, by example. So... Who was it that said, when you look at societies, societies, as they grow, they go up the stairs with wooden clogs and they go down the stairs with silk slippers. I don't know who said that, but it's not untrue. On the decline when it's... I'll I'll, I'll give you another example of that one. Um, Marvin Hagler. Yeah. One of my favorite boxers of all time. Mm -hmm. You know what his great quote was? I, I do like this one. I don't remember it specifically, but I do like it. It's hard to get out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning to do road work when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. Yeah. It's not untrue. Like, I get it. Societies walk up the stairs in wooden clogs and down the stairs in silk slippers. And so do hockey players, apparently. <laughs> so do hockey players. You're right, though. It is just a uh, just a, a different era. Uh, a couple of minutes here. Um Ron Francis is going to stop by in a couple of moments. Seattle Mm. Kraken general manager. Now, um, that team has been great. 
That they team's are. real good. We wonder about them at trade deadline. And last year, the draft Shane Wright fourth overall. Elliot was making the point, and I think he's right about this, and this is why they went with Shane Wright uh, fourth overall, is Ron Francis, <clears throat> look no further than what happened with him in the Pittsburgh Penguins, understands that if you're going to win, you need some strength down the middle. You need big players down the middle. Yep. So whether it's Matty Beneers, scored again last night, albeit empty net. It was funny. He's looking around, looking for someone to pass to in the empty net, and they just ask who it all. It feels like a Ron Francis thing, doesn't it? Does it does feel like a Ron Francis thing. And then Shane Wright, the big Shane Wright news from yesterday was the trade to the Windsor Spitfires, where mm-hmm. Mark Savard uh, is the head coach. The thing that's interesting about that is we've seen a lot of, and please don't take offense to this if you're one of these people, we've seen a lot of lower-end NHLers, which still means you're an elite-level player, but lower-end NHLers extend the career by coaching and mm-hmm. do that. And they understand the game generally a lot more than the star players do. Because they get to watch more. They get to watch more. That's yeah. the thing that impresses me about Mark Savard. And last year... You know, if, like, they took that Windsor Spitfires team and stretched the Hamilton Bulldogs. Game seven, and that was a loaded Hamilton Bulldog squad. Mm -hmm. And this year, they're loading, like, they lose Wyatt Johnson. He stays with the Dallas Stars, but they pick up Shane Wright at the trade deadline. I'm real impressed with Mark Savard. I think he's going to be in the NHL one day because it's very rare that you see a skill player succeed behind the bench. I just mentioned Rocket Richard a couple of seconds ago. How many games did he last in Quebec? Was it two? two? Yeah, I think it was two. One or two games. I think it was two. Like, that was it. We all know about what happened with Wayne Gretzky. Now, Gretzky's schedule had him pulled all over the place at all different times. It was a recipe for a disaster there with the Phoenix Coyotes and Wayne Gretzky. Oh, but one game, so, you're so, right. Was it one? one? Yeah, I thought it was two. It was one. Oh, man. One game for Rocket. And then he's like, I can't do this. <laughs> this I can't, too, I can't too, take this. Can't do this. Right? It gets rare that you see a skilled player have success at coaching. But I and I do believe that it is because, and it is it is very simplistic to say it, but the lesser skilled players, generally speaking, spend more time on the bench and get to watch more. They do, and I think there's a frustration that comes along with being a skilled player because you things expect, that you just you just do naturally because yeah. you have those skills, you expect your team to do when really you devalue yourself because you understand like, oh yeah, I was really great. No one else can do that. Like for Mark Savard, the one thing about Savard that he did better than maybe anyone in the history of the game is take, this is one of the things that players always talk about, like old players play. Uh, Mark Savard was the best at taking hard rims, okay, on his backhand, spinning around and firing sauce passes to the slot. Nobody did it better. Mm -hmm. Probably in the history of the NHL. Mm-hmm. That one particular skill, no one did it better. Watch him take hard rims on his backhand, spin, sauce, because every, every pass was yeah, yeah. a sauce pass, right to the slot. It was symphony. So, okay, so now I wonder, as the game becomes more skillful, if those if we see more of those coaches. I because think players so. Are, because players, players can, because now it's gotten to the point where the coaches are saying, oh, I can't do that. That, there's no way that I could do that, right? Because the game has is, is evolved yeah. so much into a skill game. I do wonder if we see more of those coaches, like the players who were the real skill guys that become mm-hmm. coaches. I'm going to ask Ron Francis about this, about where, you know, the, the, the coach now that is taking care of Shane Wright. Let's do that. Let's, uh, let's yeah. hit a break. And uh, Ron Francis, general manager of the Seattle Kraken, is going to drop by in a couple of moments. We'll talk plenty about his squad, uh, trade deadline as well. And we'll get his thoughts on Mark Savard, head coach of the Windsor Spitfires, who's now handling the career of Shane Wright. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. 
big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Standing by for Ron Francis, Hall of Famer, General Manager, Seattle Kraken. Big win over the Montreal Canadiens last night, playing in uh, playing against the Buffalo Sabres this evening. Talked to Kevin Adams in the uh, first hour of the program. I want to thank him for uh, coming aboard as always. And uh, again, we are standing by for Ron Francis. This is a fascinating team. You know, I, I know that I've talked a lot about Daniel Sprong uh, about the cra- with with the Kraken, but I'm forever fascinated with his career and where it's gone, where it started, namely Amsterdam, rare, um, and then moved to Canada at a very young age, uh, family centered in Montreal. And then from there, it was elite team to elite team to elite team and all the way up. Like you kept hearing about Daniel Sprong, this kid, Daniel Sprong from another, from, uh, from Amsterdam. He's, you know, light the, uh, the hockey world on fire, uh, ends up with the Charlottetown Islanders, um, was a real good team at that time. Highly skilled guy. Never denied how skilled this player was. You know, he falls to the second round somehow. Um, and then has kind of had a hard time finding his way. And he does seem to have now finally found his way, even though it is only playing just over 11 minutes a night for the Seattle Kraken. But wildly productive. 13 goals. Playing 11 minutes a night. 32 games, 25 points, fourth line. And the, the one thing that I'll point to when you look at Seattle, first of all, there's a lot of balance through their entire lineup, specifically those, those, those four lines that they have. They are really balanced. Like there's no one who's got like 50 points. No one's challenging for a scoring title outside of Matty Beniers, and that's the rookie scoring title. But they have the ability, Dave Haxtell does, to throw four lines out there that can produce. And the one thing, and it, it took teams a long time to figure this out, that's okay. Like these, these things happen. You try to figure out how to swim in a salary capped universe and you learn things along the way. And the one lesson I think that everybody has learned right now, and Seattle is doing this perhaps maybe even more so than any other team. When you, I've said this before, when you have the chance to improve at any, any position, even by a smidge, even by a tiny little bit, you do it. And isn't that right now the lesson of the Seattle Kraken? Now, a really couple of shrewd moves by Ron Francis in the offseason, specifically Andre Burakovsky, who was a fantastic move. You know, the waiver uh, uh, acquisition of L.A. Tolvanen, that was a real great one. L.A. Tolvanen has got five goals, nine points. Like, since he's come over, every time this guy's playing, this guy is scoring. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand kind of fell in their lap. That was the aftershocks of the Johnny Gaudreau trade to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus had to do something to make that cap space. They had to let go of, uh, of, uh, of Oliver Bjorkstrand and Seattle were the beneficiaries of it. The other player that we should probably note, and we saw him on display last night for Seattle is Vince Dunn. Now, I watched Vince Dunn play a ton with Niagara in the OHL and he was a rover. But Niagara let him do it because he's producing. And, like, there are rovers that come out of junior hockey. We see that with Brant Clark, the Barry Colts. Uh, we see that now with Pavel Minchikov, who's a first-rounder of the Anaheim Ducks now, who just got traded yesterday um, to the Ottawa 67s. 
Vince Dunn is sort of in that tradition, and he seems to have really found a home with the Seattle Kraken, as have a lot of players. Ron Francis joins me now, general manager of the uh, of the Seattle Kraken, who are uh, lighting the NHL on fire and creating headlines pretty much every single time they play. Uh, Ron, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Uh, yourself, Jeff? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I want to start off with, um, I was just having a conversation with my producer, Maddie Marchese, here about Shane Wright. And not so much Shane Wright, the player uh, in the NHL, or even Shane Wright, the player in junior, but Shane Wright's coach now. When um, when you look at the situation that Shane Wright is in with the Windsor Spitfires, Mark Savard is coaching him. Now, as you all know, when Mark played, one of the most highly skilled players in the NHL, you know, it's between him and Joe Thornton from that generation, who was a better passer, etc. Um, as someone who manages Shane Wright's career, what are your thoughts on Mark Savard coaching this thoroughbred in Shane Wright that you have? No, we're excited about that. Um, <clears throat> I actually had a, a great phone conversation this morning with Mark, uh, just talking about Shane and the different things. And, and uh, you know, I've watched uh, Woodsman play a lot. I, I like the job that Mark's doing, the structure they play with. And uh, we think it's a, a great fit for Shane to uh, be in there and have a, uh, as you said, a very skilled offensive player, Mark Savard, uh, yeah. coaching him at this point. How would you uh, how would you describe the season that that Shane has had? I mean, there's been a lot of it could seem sort of stops and starts and successes and some frustrations as well. And like we all know what happened to the World Juniors, but how would you describe the season? And if there's anything that that you think Shane Wright can learn from how this season has gone? Yeah, I know. I mean, I think people have to keep in mind it's it's really a good league. The NHL is the best league in the world. And there's yeah. not many 18-year-olds that, you know, step out and, and play in the NHL. So, um, you know, uh, I know there was a lot of outside talk and stuff, but we're extremely pleased with Shane. I mean, number one, he's a terrific young man and, and uh, you know, cares about doing things the right way. Um, he came in, you know, to our camp. He got some exhibition games. He got some regular season games. Uh, he was sitting out there for a little bit, so we asked him to go down and play in the uh, – American Hockey League, and no complaints whatsoever. He uh, went down there, had the right attitude. You know, uh, the guys uh, loved having him in the building, played well down there, you know, scored some goals. So I think he was feeling good about that. Mm-hmm. And then we called him back up. He was able to score his first NHL goal. And then we asked him to go play in the uh, the World Junior Championships. And again, you know, uh, attitude was great. He went down there and played. And at the end of the day, we just felt that, you know, for the things he needed to work on in his game, it was best for him to go back to junior. Uh, he'd have more ice time, more opportunity to do that than he would right now at the NHL with us and, and where I see that. So, um, you know, the big picture, there's a lot in the development that was positive, right? NHL games, NHL games, World Championship gold medal, or World Junior champ, uh, gold medal. Mm-hmm. So um, we're pleased with where he's at, and uh, we know he's going to continue to progress in London. You know, and, and one of the things too that we, we shouldn't lose sight of is this is a this is a tough roster to to crack. Like this isn't, you know, we think of you know outside of Vegas, you know, traditional expansion teams, and you know they don't behave the way Vegas did, and traditionally they don't behave the way you are now. Like this is this is a winning team, and it's a tough lineup uh, to crack. And I, I want to sort of dovetail th- th- this conversation into into your thoughts on someone that came to you on a tryout and since making the team and signing a contract, 
has kind of filled the net, and he did it again yesterday against the, the, the city that he moved to from Amsterdam, and that's Montreal, and I'm talking about Daniel Sprong. And I've talked a lot about him this season, but I'm really fascinated with his story. Um, what did you guys see at camp from Daniel Strong? What did you see on his tryout that let you believe that this guy could make a contribution with Seattle? Well, yeah, you know, it goes back to the trade deadline last year. We picked him up in the deal um, where we moved up Marcus Johansson to Washington. We got a, uh, Daniel a fourth and a sixth. And he came in and he, and he played well for us, um, actually down the stretch in regards to scoring goals. It was, you know, I think for us a little bit of concern was the, the commitment to the two-way game and the defensive aspect of the game. But, um, you know, we liked what we saw at the end of last year. We invited him to come into camp and, and – uh, you know, show us that he was willing to kind of play both ends of the rink and earn that contract. And to his credit, he did that. He came in, worked extremely hard, and was good for us in, in uh, training camp. Uh, and little glitch, uh, just as his visa was running out, so he missed about a week, which set him back a bit. But, uh, you know, he's back on, on track, and, you know, he's got some speed, and he can score some goals. So, um, And I think he's, you know, he feels comfortable with, with where he's at with our organization and our coaching staff and our players. And, uh, you know, as a result, uh, He's getting results, and we're excited about that for him. Um, Ele Tolvanen, were you surprised that you got him? I.e., are we surprised that it lasted that long, that it got to Seattle and, and you were the first claim? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we talked about it. The, the one thing that we thought might give us a chance was the fact that he had another year in his contract, right? So some people, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a gamble, you know, when there's this year plus one more, but... Um, you know, based on where we are as a franchise and, and uh, you know, just the need for kind of younger guys in that mix at that age group too. Uh, you know, we thought he was worth the gamble. And I remember years ago at the Corolla Cup watching him just tee him up on the, on the half wall on the mm. park play. And, you know, he came into Nashville, had a little bit of success, and for whatever reason just wasn't going right for him. So sometimes players need changes sooner. We thought it was uh, certainly worth the... Uh, the gamble with his history and background, and so far he's been, uh, been real good for us. Listen, the big headline maker around Seattle, not exactly a, a secret, the play of, of Matty Beneers. And, you know, I, I don't think it's lost on anyone that, uh, that you played center. Uh, a lot of this by way of, you know, first-round draft picks and going for, for centers between Matt Beneers and, and Shane Wright as well. Um, first of all, I don't believe that, you know, he's, uh, he's really, what is it, 20 years old. He looks like he's already 30. He looks like a fully matured man. Um, but sh- share, share your thoughts based on other, you know, young centers that you've seen, um, you've seen in your career. And do you share the same uh, skepticism that he is indeed only 30 when you look at him? Or 20, rather. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's 30 years old from his maturity standpoint, that's for sure. But, right. Uh, we're hoping physically he's only 20 because he can play a lot longer for us moving forward. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's just a terrific kid. I mean, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I if I said I expected him to come in at the end of last year and do what he did in those last 10 games. I mean, I was hoping he would show some glimpses, but there'd be things to work on over the summer. And, um, you know, he stepped in right game one and just didn't miss a beat. He's uh, Then as a GM, you start to worry, okay, well, he's going to have the summer now, and it went easy for him those 10 games. Is really going to put the time and effort in, but mm-hmm. from day one in training camp, he's been a guy that pushes the envelope for us. He uh, competes hard in practice every day. Competes hard every shift. He's on the ice. You know, he's a competitive kid. He's well liked by his teammates, and um, you know, he's only twenty because 
I still think there's a lot of room for him to grow and get stronger, and, and that uh, hopefully will, will result in even a, a higher level of play from Maddie moving forward. But uh, we couldn't be more excited to have him as the first ever pick for the Kraken uh, organization. You know, it's uh, it's seldom that you can read much into an empty net goal, but uh, I'm watching that game last night, and Beneers has it on his stick, and his instinct, he's like looking around, looking for someone to pass it to uh, before he just fires it in. What does that tell his general manager? Well, I think we've got uh, we've got that kind of chemistry right now in our locker room, right? And, and maybe it's because we don't have the you know the so-called superstar or, or the big name kind of guy. I mean, we rely on everybody every night, and uh, you know whether that production comes from our so-called first line or our so-called fourth line. If we're going to win, we're going to need production up and down our lineup, and I think that is. Uh, kind of made it easy in our locker room where guys just all really get along, uh, like each other, pull hearts for each other. And, mm-hmm. You know, as you saw last night, in those situations, if there's an opportunity, you know, I've seen it here in the games uh, to this point of the season as well, you know, guys will look for somebody else just to make sure that, uh, you know, if somebody else has a chance to score in the empty net, they're going to give them that chance. So last night was no different with Maddie, and uh, I'm just happy at the end of the day it puck went in the net. <laughs> <laughs> Big win. Um, you know, I, I was kind of thinking, too, I just want to do one quick circle back on, on Sprong. You know, when his family came over from Amsterdam, that's where they settled, and then it was, you know, elite team to elite team to elite team. He didn't have a, a team for two seasons in a row until he got to junior in, in Charlottetown. Did you have a feeling that since he was coming to his, his Canadian hometown that, that Sprong was going to have a big night? Yeah, I mean, indications were uh, the amount of people and the amount of tickets he had to buy for the game last night. Uh, I was fully expecting <laughs> to play well, and it was really great to see him uh, score a goal early. I, I know that was exciting for him, and I'm sure for all the people that he had in attendance last night as well. I think the uh, I think the phrase is playing free hockey. It sounds like that's what Daniel Sprong was doing yesterday, considering all the tickets he had to uh, he had to he had to spring out for. Um, I, you know, I'm uh, at this time of year when you have a team like yours. Uh, I I always wonder if the general manager feels he owes something to the team. Like some teams will, you know, by way of their play and the position that they're in and where they find themselves in the in the standings. Sometimes we'll, a, a general manager will look at the team and say, okay, these guys deserve something. Like, they, they need something. They've shown me what they can do. They've taken this team to a certain position. I owe them something, a trade, a player, something like that. Do you feel that based on where your team is at right now that you owe them something, Ron? Well, I, mean, I think I, I, uh, I certainly appreciate their hard work and their effort every night, and then understand that whether it's myself or the coaches or owners or whatever they're appreciative of their work um, you know it's a fine line because you know our chemistry is really good right now too do you make changes to try to add something does that mm-hmm. you know mess up what you have going in your chemistry um, you know what are the prices you have to pay at the, at the deadline um, you know part of our plan was to build this thing uh, to be competitive each and every night which I think we're at that point, and um, you know, also to make sure that we're building this thing right from the ground up, so that when we get to the point we think we can be one of the elite teams, that we can do that year after year. So um, it's, it's, you know, there's no doubt it's a balancing act, but um, couldn't be prouder of these guys. I mean, last year was a tough year for us. Uh, I don't think our play was as bad as our record indicated. Uh, we had a lot of one-goal game losses, a one-goal game that became two-goal game losses with our empty net goals, but. Um, 
the one thing I was proud of, these guys never quit. I mean, they they worked hard and, and um, you know, right to the end of the season. And what's fun this year is being able to see them smile a little bit and have some fun. You know, little things like you saw the other day in Toronto where Matty Veneers lost a bet to Jordan Everly to get a craft hockey can really on, right? Like, yeah. Great to see them having a little bit of fun and enjoying it because, uh, you know, they're working hard. They deserve that bet, right? Uh, that was a lot of fun. Listen, uh, Ron, your team is, uh, has made headlines all year. Third place uh, in the Pacific. Uh, big game tonight against the Buffalo Sabres, who are making their own charge as well, despite the loss against Philly yesterday. Uh, we'll be watching tonight. Good luck against the Swords, and, and good luck the rest of the way. Thank you, Jeff. Very much appreciated. There he is, Ron Francis, general manager of the Seattle Kraken, uh, a team that finds themselves in a really solid playoff spot with games in hand, we should mention as well. Like, this is a team with 48 points in 38 games, third in the Pacific. Um, they're two points up on the Calgary Flames with three games in hand. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, who are fading a little bit here, uh, games in hand and lead them in the standings as well. Uh, this is an impressive squad, and I do wonder, you know, I asked the question for a reason. Do you feel like you owe them something? Because the rumors are very much out there. And Elliot, you know, sort of winked at this Saturday on Hockey Day. Like, don't be surprised if Seattle maybe makes a play for Bo Horvat. You know, I had another person text me saying, you know, don't be surprised if Nashville, who are looking for a center as well, uh, makes a play for Bo Horvat as well. We'll be curious to see what happens here uh, with the Seattle Kraken, but a team that's won four games in a row, most recently last night against Montreal. Tonight they'll face off against the Buffalo Sabres. Should mention as well a couple of things here. So uh, a number of games on the network this evening, starting at 7 o'clock Eastern with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And when it comes to Pittsburgh, you kind of throw your hands up sometimes and you say, this team could either look like they should win the Stanley Cup or should not even be part of the playoff picture. We'll see which Pittsburgh Penguins team shows up this evening. Uh, they'll face off against the Vancouver Canucks. Watch this one on Sportsnet Pacific, Ontario, and Sportsnet East. Sportsnet West at 8 o'clock Eastern, the St. Louis Blues face off against the Calgary Flames. You know, interesting, Calgary is facing the St. Louis Blues twice in three nights. Both games are in St. Louis. I personally thought we were going to see coming out of COVID, we were going to see more of this, that you're going in to face off against New Jersey once, no, you're going to play them twice just because of travel, et cetera. I thought we were going to see more of this. I thought this was going to be some of the, uh, you know, some of the after effects of what the schedule was looking like during COVID. Not so fast, but uh, we get two games, Calgary Flames and St. Louis Blues, both of them in St. Louis. Uh, watch the first one tonight, Sportsnet West, 8 o'clock Eastern, St. Louis and the Calgary Flames. Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Florida Panthers. This is an interesting one, or this one should have been an interesting one because, and this one's 9.30 Eastern, watch it on Sportsnet 1. This is one of those games that at the beginning of the season, when you went through the schedule, you said to yourself, ooh, January 10th, it's the last game on the schedule. Panthers, Avalanche, that might be a Stanley Cup preview. Not so fast. I still think Colorado is going to be there when all is said and done. To Colorado, after all, right? Don't know that any of us, any of us are saying that same thing about the Florida Panthers. Matter of fact, the conversation is about the unprotected first-round pick. And do they surrender that one to the Montreal Canadiens? Well, they're surrendering it to the Montreal Canadiens. Is that going to be a lottery pick? Huh? Thanks to Ron Francis for stopping by. Seattle Kraken GM, Kevin Adams, Buffalo Sabres general manager. 
Thanks to Elliot Friedman, as always, for stopping by. And thanks to Nick Trantos for sending in the random player of the day. Thanks to Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese. Back tomorrow, more of the Merrick Show, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network.